Well, this morning we're in Luke, and uh, we're uh, looking at three questions that were raised um, in the garden. And uh, the first question pertains to Judas. The second question pertains to uh, Jesus. And the third question pertains to those who have come to arrest Jesus in the garden. You might be wondering what the flowers are here this morning. And this morning, or, or yesterday afternoon, we celebrated the, the homegoing of Eileen Stuckey. Uh, many of you don't know Eileen, but uh, Eileen was a long-time uh, member of uh, our church. And uh, she was 90 years old. And uh, Eileen, uh, for many years, uh, took care of the homebound in our church and made sure that sermons were uh, copied on tape and those messages were getting to those who could no longer uh, come to our services because of health. Well, lo and behold, she had a stroke nine years ago. And uh, little did she realize that uh, she would be now the recipient of uh, what she had invested in all those years. What what a wonderful lady uh, she is. She's alive today, okay? We don't talk about her in the past tense. She's in the presence of Jesus. But uh, these uh, flowers are from that service, and they're, I know, are, is this the only family member here, or any other family members? Okay, is it? Mike? Mike, okay, from North Carolina. And your wife? Sylvia, okay. Well, welcome to our service this morning. We're glad that that you're here. All right, well, let's look at uh, Luke chapter uh, 22 this morning. We're going to read verses 47 through 53. While he was still speaking, while Jesus was still speaking, there came a crowd... And the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were uh, around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. And Jesus said to the chief priests and the officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, have you come out out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour, the pow- and the power of darkness. Three questions this morning. The first question I want to look at was in reference to Judas. Here, Judas is coming to Jesus, and he's about to uh, kiss Jesus on the cheek. And Jesus says, "Really, Judas?" A kiss? This this is how you're going to portray the Son of Man? Now, kissing was not unusual. Men kissing men were not unusual in the Middle East. It's not unusual today. It's a sign of respect. It's a sign of love. And 
And uh, even when it comes to my boys, I like to kiss my boys on the cheek uh, when I when they haven't seen them in a long time or when I'm about to say goodbye and not see them for a long time. They hate it. But you know what? My dad always kissed me on the cheek when he greeted or said goodbye to me. And so, by golly, I'm going to do it to my boys. And uh, But they don't like it, so what? But uh, here's, here's Judas in the garden, and uh, he's about to kiss Jesus. Um, this kiss is preconceived. Uh, this is not a spur-of-a-moment thought uh, in that that Judas has Judas knows what he's about to do and it is not a sign of love and respect there's a backstory to Judas's life and we've looked at Judas's life uh, we looked at his life a few weeks ago uh, but Judas has been faking it when it comes to following Christ for a very long time uh, Judas is a hypocrite. And Judas comes to Jesus, and Jesus says, Judas, are you about to betray the Son of Man? The Son of Man, the Christ, the Messiah, according to Daniel chapter 7, are you about to betray him with a kiss? Really, Judas? Judas has been a really good faker. But Judas is now taking the mask off. He's he's fooled everyone. He hasn't fooled Jesus, but he's fooled everyone. Here his life group, okay? The other 11 disciples who are in the in the garden with with uh with Jesus. They're shocked to know that Judas has been faking it. Betraying Jesus. This betrayal hurts. Um, Max Lucado, in a book he wrote, Angels Were Silent. Um, This is what betrayal means. Betray, the word is an eighth of an inch above the word betroth in the dictionary. But a world from betroth in life. Betray or betrayal is a weapon found only in the hands of one you love. Your enemy has no such tool, for only a friend can betray. Betrayal is mutiny. It's a violation of trust, an inside job. Lucado adds this about betrayal. It's more than rejection. Rejection opens a womb, a wound. Betrayal pours the salt. It's more than loneliness. Loneliness leaves you in the cold. Betrayal closes the door. It's more than mockery. Mockery plunges the knife. Betrayal twists it. It's more than an insult. An insult attacks your pride. Betrayal breaks your heart. Here Judas, a friend of Jesus, is now betraying Jesus. The mask is coming off. 
And rather than confessing his sin, rather than repenting of his sin, Judas would rather betray Jesus. It's easier to betray Christ than it is to confess his sin before Christ and his disciples. Have any of you been betrayed before? You've invested a lot of your time and energy into someone else. They're your friend. And then they turn around and stab you in the back. Jesus understands this morning. Jesus knows what it's like to be betrayed. Let me just uh, share, make a couple final reflections concerning uh, Judas before we go on. First reflection is this. Sometimes you bear no responsibility for someone else shipwrecking his or her faith. It's not your fault. They determined to self-destruct. Judas has no one to blame but Judas. Maybe you're here this morning and there's a Judas in your life. You've invested and you're, you're beating yourself up. You're putting yourself on a guilt trip. I could have done more. There's nothing more Jesus could have done for Judas. Judas was on a path of self-destruction all along. Did the devil make Judas do what he did? No. The devil just used what was already in Judas's heart. Sometimes we're not responsible for the decisions that our Judas has made. The second reflection is this. Sitting under good Bible teaching is not enough. You have to believe and obey it. Think about Judas for a moment. He was under the greatest Bible teacher of all time. You know, think of Jesus teaching the disciples in the Old Testament. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 3 and let me show you the time I showed up in the furnace. Isn't that awesome? And yet here Judas is hearing all this truth coming from the Son of Man, the Messiah, the King of Kings. And he knows that he's heard it, but it's never transferred from his head to his heart. You've got to believe and obey it. Third insight. Knowing Jesus isn't enough. You must love him and make him your life. This isn't about head knowledge. This is about the heart. I hope you worship this morning. Worship was very low key, very different from what we do. But you know what? If we're meeting with Jesus throughout the week, if we're loving him, Hearing from him, longing for him throughout the week. What we did this morning is very worshipable, very meaningful. Where was your heart as we worshiped this morning?
and the final reflection of Judas's life is this. You can't lose your salvation, but you can fake it. Judas was never saved. Judas was a hypocrite, and he was really good at faking it. He was never saved. He never acknowledged Jesus as Lord or master of his life. He was always teacher. Judas didn't lose his salvation. He just faked it. So that's the first question Jesus asked in the garden. And it was, it was Judas. The second question comes from Peter. Now we know it's Peter from John chapter 18. It's the same story. It's a little bit more colorful. I encourage you to go there. But uh, Peter asks Jesus the question, shall we strike with the sword, Jesus? And Peter's doing this because he's confessed earlier in the chapter that, uh, you know, he's committed to Jesus. I mean, there's nothing he's not willing to do for Jesus. He's willing to go to prison, and he's willing to die for Jesus. And we looked at that a couple weeks ago, and Jesus told Peter, Peter, come on, before the cock crows, the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And here we see in the garden that Peter is living up to his commitment. And he asks Jesus the question, shall we strike with the sword, Jesus? And he doesn't even let Jesus answer the question. And he goes right towards Malchus and he takes his sword and he slices off his ear. And here Jesus sees this and he cries out, no more of this. This is not what we are to be about. You know, when Jesus told the disciples to bring a sword uh, in, in, uh, in verses uh, 35 through 39, um, he didn't mean for him to use the sword in self-defense. Jesus is saying, no more of this. This is not what we're to do. You know, I didn't tell you to cut off his ear. I told you to cut it out. Don't use the sword. And so here we see in the garden a big scene of chaos. You know, you look at this and you want to, you you're not sure if you're to laugh or you're to cry. I mean, what's happening is a dreadful comedy. I mean, it's a shamble. Look at this. These are the disciples. This is Jesus' varsity team. This is the A-team acting like a bunch of hoodlums here. What's going on? You know, one thing I like about the Bible is the Bible paints a realistic picture of Christ's followers. You know, the Bible isn't written in the third or fourth century in trying to paint Jesus and his followers as bigger than life. No. The Bible paints the disciples with warts and all. And here they are. They are acting like a bunch of little kids. They're unprepared. 
Peter whacks off Malchus's ear. Why did Peter do this? Peter did this because he was spiritually unprepared in the moment. Last week we looked at Jesus' prayer. He took Peter, James, and John a little further in the, in the garden. And he told Peter, James, and John, I want you to watch and I want you to pray. And what did they do? They slept. John chapter 18, the Bible says that Jesus went back three different times. And what were they doing? They were sleeping. Peter was not prepared in the moment. Peter was being active when he should have been passive. And Peter had been passive when he should have been active. Had Peter been watching and praying while Jesus was preparing, praying in the garden, he probably wouldn't have acted as he did. But as a result, he was spiritually unprepared. Does that describe any of you on occasion? You know, you find yourself in the heat of the moment and you respond in anger. You respond with a knee-jerk reaction. You know, you ask Jesus a question and you don't wait for a response. You just go after it. How do we prepare ourselves for those moments and not make things more of a mess. My friends, we've got to spiritually pray and watch, spend time with Jesus, being prepared for the difficult times. You know the phrase? If you snooze, you lose. Peter snoozed. And when Jesus needed him most, Peter responded with a knee-jerk reaction and made a mess of things. Now, Peter had a justifiable excuse, didn't he? Peter was tired. You know, it's been an exhausting day. I mean, they had a big dinner at the Passover. And, you know, it's a full stomach. It's late at night. And it's okay if I just close my eyes for a little while. He had a great excuse. And folks, we all have great excuses. We all have justifiable excuses. And if we constantly use those justifiable excuses, we're going to experience the consequences. What justifiable excuse do you constantly use to keep you from being spiritually prepared? Jesus wants us to be ready. We don't know when that moment is going to come. But for Peter, he didn't take advantage of the moment. 
and it cost him dearly. And then we see Jesus reprimanding Peter, Jesus saying, no more of this. This is not the way of those who are in my kingdom. That is not the way we are to respond. We're not to act out with aggression. Look at John chapter 18, verse 36. This is in your handout this morning. This is Jesus answering Pilate as to whether he is the king of the Jews. And Jesus said this in verse 36. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Jesus is telling us as his followers that we are not to aggressively and pathetically fight back. The church, the church is not to take up the sword when it comes to kingdom things. And I don't know about you, but I I feel the tension of this text right now. You know, there was, I remember a couple years ago, not even two years ago, where there were some shootings taking place in churches. And And I had a knee jerk reaction. I thought to myself, you know, we need to have um, people in our church with um, um, gun permits and can be able to conceal, uh, have a concealed weapon just in case something were to take place in our church. If you go to churches across the country, you won't see this, but there are a lot of churches today where there are ushers or other people within the congregation that have concealed weapon permits there to protect the pastor or in whatever else may take place in a service. I understand that. I get that. I feel the tension of that. But I'm hearing Jesus' words right now. Jesus says the church isn't to take up the sword. We're not to prepare ourselves physically. We're to prepare ourselves spiritually. And had Peter prepared himself spiritually, he wouldn't have acted out aggressively. And he wouldn't have had, Jesus wouldn't have had to have been defending himself in front of Pilate in John chapter 18. This is not what his kingdom is about. Our fight, church, is not a physical enemy. Our, our fight is the spiritual forces of darkness. And Jesus didn't fight back. What did he do? He healed Malchus's ear. He reprimands Peter and says, there is to be none of this. And then he goes to his enemy 
and puts his hand on Malchus's ear and heals his ear in the midst of this chaos. There's a huge message for us as a church this morning. I shared with the traditional service uh, during the announcement time about uh, this last Thursday night. We have uh, all church prayer time on Thursday evenings, once a month, the first Thursday of month at 6 o'clock. We had a wonderful prayer service Thursday night. It went overtime. The reason why it went overtime is people had so many praises to, to share during that prayer, prayer, prayer service to begin with. But I loved hearing God's people in huddles praying about things going on, praying about what's happening in the world, what's happening in the life of our church and our ministries. That's where the spiritual battle takes place. And that's what Jesus wants us to be doing. He wants us to be praying. Folks, I want to encourage you to come to that one prayer meeting, an hour out of your week, the first Thursday of the month, God will bless your heart. You will be glad that you've come. This is what Jesus would be having us to do. Which brings us to the third question. This is the question for the leadership who is there in uh, to to, to get Jesus, this is found in verse 52. Jesus asked the question, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? I want you to see the masterful serenity in Jesus. Jesus is as cool as the other side of the pillow. How is he so prepared for this moment? He's been in prayer. And it hasn't been an easy prayer. The Bible says, we looked at it last week, Jesus was sweating drops of blood. He knew he had to drink from the cup of God's wrath. But when Jesus got up off his knees, I want you to see that in Jesus' glistening, blood-stained face, that he is spiritually prepared for what his Father is wanting him to go through. Our crucifixion. Our punishment. He took upon himself. Jesus is prepared for the hour of darkness. Who's the lawless one? It's not Jesus. It's the religious elders. It's the uh, religious people. Um, They're coming as the aggressors. And what do they want to do? They want to silence the voice of Jesus. And things haven't changed after 2,000 years. 
Folks, we continue to face opposition with um, liberal political people, leaders, uh, liberal religious people um, who want to uh, redefine uh, what Jesus has said in the Bible. Uh, we fight against Islamic terrorists who wants, want to silence uh, Christians in the Middle, Middle East. Um, we still have this opposition today. They all want to sil- silence the voice of Jesus. What is the church to do? Take out our sword and put up an anemic fight? Like Peter did? Jesus isn't defensive here. Jesus is prepared. And he has prepared himself through prayer. And Jesus wants us to do the same thing. Look at Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through 18. Paul says this. Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may, may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, against having fastened on the belt of truth having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as and as shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. This is our enemy. Our enemy isn't ISIS or liberal politicians, or liberal theologians, our enemy is the devil. Our enemy is not physical, it's spiritual. And in this garden, the disciples are on a total different planet than Jesus is right now. They're only looking at the physical enemy. And they're not thinking of the powers of darkness. The the disciples are not grasping the arrest and soon-to-be crucifixion of Jesus Christ. They're only thinking in physical terms and not spiritual. They misunderstood the moment. And 
in their eyes, the world is falling apart and they're about to walk away from Jesus in total darkness. My friend, when it looks like the world is falling apart, just understand God's got it all under control. And God wants us to respond with spiritual eyes and not physical. And not walk away discouraged and defeated, but be prepared, spiritually prepared to persevere. To face the difficulty of the moment. God has a plan in our chaos. You know what Jesus is doing? Jesus is praying for us. Jesus is our mediator. And he's praying that our faith will not fail. Are you spiritually prepared? To face the difficulties that God is allowing in your life, just like Peter. Peter boastfully proclaimed, Oh, Jesus, I'll, I'll go to prison for you. I'll die for you. And Jesus says, Peter, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. And that's not unique just to Peter. That's for all of us this morning, my friends. And God doesn't allow those things in our life to make our life miserable, but for us to help us grow in our faith, in our relationship with him. And if we're not spiritually prepared, we're going to be like the chafe. God wants us to be the wheat that remains that's fruitful, that will last. What's Jesus' response in the midst of evil? It's not a sword. It's compassion and love, even towards his enemies. And he healed a man. Does that mean that we can't pray for God to defeat evil? Absolutely not. We need to be people of prayer. We need to pray that God would defeat evil. We need to pray for justice as the martyrs did in Revelation chapter 6, I believe. Those who had been beheaded, they cried out to God, How long, O God, before we see justice? We can pray for justice, that God will use good governments to punish evil governments. But we also have a responsibility. And Madison was asking me this question is, should we be praying for our enemy, for God to help us love our enemy? Absolutely. We need to be praying that uh, as Muslim terrorists are beheading the head, the, the beheading Christians that God would call out from among one of them, at least, a Saul who can become a Paul and take the gospel to the Muslim people. 
That needs to be the cry of our heart as well. So how is this text spoken to you this morning? We've talked a lot about a lot of things this morning. Are you a Judas? Have you been faking it? And you've got everybody convinced that you're a follower of Jesus? Jesus knows. Judas was unwilling to repent, to confess that he was wrong. It was easier to betray Christ. And it cost him his life. Don't make that mistake. Is there a Judas in your life? In your heart? has been broken and you keep beating yourself up, maybe there was more that I can do. Jesus did all he could do. But Judas was on that path of destruction. Are you like Peter? Unprepared for the moment? Passive when you need to be active. You've got all the excuses in the world. There are consequences to justifiable excuses. Obey him. Follow him. Are you focused? on the physical realities of life rather than the spiritual, it's real easy for me to focus on on the physical. It's real easy for me to turn on uh, CNN and Fox News and ask myself, well, what's bleeding today? You know, what bleeds leads. And just by be consumed with the the news of of, of today and just get all discouraged and defeated. When God wants me to be praying, God is reminding me in this text that it's not the physical, our enemy isn't physical. It's spiritual. Darkness is all, is behind all these physical realities. And we need to be praying against the forces of darkness. What does God want you to do this morning? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these words. And uh, there's a lot in this text today. And we've uh, jumped around in a lot of different, with a lot of different issues. And God, I don't know how you're using this message in, in people's hearts this morning. But I pray that, Father, we would be doers of the word and not just hearers only. Help us to be prepared for the moments that we find ourselves in. Lord, when we're passive, 
Make us active. Help us to watch and to pray. And then help us to be passive when our spirit, our flesh, wants to be active and we make a mess of things. God, help us to trust you and to see the bigger picture of what you're doing spiritually behind the scenes. Father, we love you. But thank you for loving us and not giving up up on us. Not giving up on Peter that made a mess of things. But Jesus, you forgave and you restored and you made him a leader of the church. And if you would do that in Peter's life, God, there's hope for us. There's redemption. There's forgiveness. There is renewal. And God, I pray that we would trust you. Thank you for dying for our sin on that cross. We don't deserve your forgiveness. But we thank you. Use this time of invitation as we lift up your name.